uh, Bishop Myers has asked me to teach this morning. I'm going to turn your attention to uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. And uh, I want to read a few verses in your hearing. We're going to start with verse 5 and read through verse 10. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate under the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Now, I would like to talk for a few moments this morning on this subject, the limitations of the loosed shoe. The limitations of the loosed shoe. Uh, this particular law that we read about uh, in the Old Testament, it was established for uh, the preservation of the name yeah, it became known as the kinsman redeemer doctrine. If a man died and his brother uh, stepped into the office of providing offspring for his brother's widow, he became known as the kinsman redeemer. He was redeeming uh, the name of kin, his kin, his brother. Now this may seem strange in our our culture today, but in that day, uh, the preservation of uh, the children of Israel was paramount. The preservation of the name was of utmost importance. And the most famous story that we read about in the Old Testament concerning this law was when Naomi returned to the land of Canaan and she returned with her uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth. And uh, their husbands had died um, both Naomi's husband and uh, her daughter-in-law's husband, of course, which was her son. Uh, both of her sons had died. Uh, Orpah was um, the other uh, daughter-in-law who uh, stayed in Moab. They, they lived in Moab. The, Naomi and her husband and their two sons had gone to Moab because of uh, uh, the drought and the, uh, the crisis uh, that was in um, the Canaan land area at that time. But after they had lost their husbands, uh, Naomi was like, I got to return back, uh, to my, my land of nativity. And so, uh, Ruth went with her. So, uh, both Ruth and Naomi, uh, they return, uh, back to an area that Naomi is familiar with. She was raised there, lived there. But of course, Ruth, uh, is not familiar uh, with that area. And so these two uh, ladies uh, have to try to survive. There's no uh, husbands. There's no uh, children, offspring. They, they, they have to find a way uh, to survive. And of course, uh, it, it's an amazing story as we read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament because of the uh, foreshadowing uh, of uh, the Redeemer that we would come to know in the New Testament by the name of Jesus. But uh, there were some incredible things that took place uh, as these two ladies are trying to uh, survive. There is a, 
a man in the area who's a, a distant relative, and his name is Boaz. He's a wealthy man. He has a lot of land, and uh, he has servants, and he has a, a large uh, farming business, as it were. And so um, uh, Ruth would go, and uh, when the, the, the servants would go and the workers would go to glean in the fields, uh, as was traditional in that time, they would, uh, they would harvest the fields, but they would uh, leave the grain in the corners of the fields or where the people in need in the community could go and, and uh, they could, uh, you know, were able to sort of uh, get uh, some of that grain that had not uh, been harvested by the landowners and they would uh, be able to get some subsistence to survive. And it was sort of their welfare program in that day. And so um, Ruth uh, did that. And, of course, um, Boaz noticed that. Even Boaz even instructed his workers to you know, take wide turns so that, you know, uh, we could leave as much in the corners as possible because, um, he, he noticed Ruth and he noticed that, uh, she was working the corner of those fields and that she was obviously in need. And, um, he began to inquire a little bit about her and, um, and she, um, began to inquire about him, uh, from, uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And of course, Naomi knew Boaz. And um, so there came a time where um, there was an interest in Naomi's part about uh, Boaz sort of being uh, prodded or coached into uh, maybe stepping into this kinsman redeemer mode. He, he you know, he needed a little encouragement, as males oftentimes do, have to be pushed a little bit, I guess. And so uh, Naomi and Ruth devised a plan of how they would uh, encourage Boaz to um, maybe, you know, uh, be a little more assertive in, in looking into the possibility of providing for Naomi and Ruth on a more permanent basis. And so um, Naomi told Ruth what to do, and she said, now this is an area where they're going to go, and and uh, they're going to eat, and they're going to drink. And so uh, you go into this area, and um, you you stay uh, close by, and uh, when he falls asleep, you uncover his feet and just lay there at his feet. She, uh, she sort of laid out the plan for Ruth. And, um, and so Ruth, very obedient, did as, um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, had instructed her to do, to kind of remind Boaz that, you know, we, we, we need some help. And, uh, this is, you have know, been go- going on for a little while, but, um, there, there is a responsibility, um, on the, on the relatives to step into this role. And, and so Boaz, was not the nearest of kin. There was another that was closer um, to redeeming the name and the inheritance um, and the heritage of uh, Naomi and then, of course, Ruth. And so there was some um, protocol that they had to go through. We pick up the narrative in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there, and behold... The kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto him. And this is uh, really picking up. If you go all the way back to Ruth chapter 3, you'll see where um, Boaz is understanding now because of the way that Ruth had presented herself that there was an interest on their part to, to have someone step into this kinsman redeemer role. And so... He explained uh, that she was to to stay there and what would take place um, in the market with these witnesses and the elders of the city uh, so that he would uh, be able to step into the rightful role. Now, the only way that Boaz can step into this rightful role is for the, the relative that's closer in relation uh, would have to either decide to become the kinsman redeemer or would pass on it. As you read... Uh, in the text with us at the beginning, uh, Deuteronomy, the law was really that, that man had the choice. He could 
uh, step into that role or he could refuse that role. And so Boaz instructs Ruth of what she is to do. And so he sat in the gate. This is kind of where they conducted business. He sat him down there and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. This is the one now who is closer in kin unto whom he said, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. He calls out to him and he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. So now they're getting the witnesses, as it were. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. So he starts by talking about, you know, there's some um, financial arrangements that need to be taken care of. There's a parcel of land, and I thought to advertise thee, say, and buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. So he says, you know, Naomi has, you know, this parcel of land. Her husband died. Um, Do you want to buy the land? If you don't want to buy the land, I'll buy the land. But one of us, you know, has to step into this. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So now he tells this, this, uh, this closer in kin, you not only if you buy the land, not only are you going to get the land, but you're going to you're going to have to take on the responsibility of Ruth as well. And the kinsman said, "I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance." He said, "I got I got my own problems, I I got my own responsibilities, and I can't have my inheritance be marred by taking on this other. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it." So this this uh, near of kin. He relinquishes his role, and by doing so, now he has given uh, Boaz a green light. Uh, now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming, I'm in verse 7, and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. So... They would talk, they would agree together. They had witnesses, elders of the city that came together. And so when this man uh, who would have the right to step into this redeeming uh, uh, role uh, was to pass on that, he would take his shoe off. Uh, Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he took off his shoe. And in taking off of his shoe, he was saying that I pass on... Uh, redeeming uh, Naomi, Ruth, and this land. And Boaz said unto the elders, I'm in verse 9, and to all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, that was Naomi's husband, and all that was Chilean's and Malon's, those were her two sons, Ruth and Orpah's husbands, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So now he's saying, I have a right to marry her, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. So he has 10 witnesses there. He calls the one who's closest of kin. He passes on it, takes his shoe off, and then... He steps into this role. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Now it's interesting at this point, that the witnesses said, let the woman that is coming to your home, which we know is Ruth, be like Leah and Rachel. 
I don't think that it's insignificant that they referred to both of the wives of Jacob. Now, there's some things to understand about this story because it's a foreshadowing of the Messiah. First of all, you have to understand that Boaz is a type of Christ. He has redeemed us. And Ruth is a type of the church. Ruth was from Moab. She was not born into this. But she is being redeemed by Boaz. We as the church, Paul talked a lot about this in Romans, we were that wild olive branch that was grafted in. Gentiles. We're, uh, as Peter preached about in Acts chapter 2, we're that promises unto you and your children and them that are afar off. That's you and I. We were afar off, but I'm thankful that the promise was for us also. So we have come from a strange land. We've come from a different culture, but we have been redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. So the church is Ruth. The uh, Boaz is a type of Christ. And what is often lost in this story is who is the near kinsman redeemer who says, I must pass. I cannot give the inheritance of redemption. He's not even named. He's not even named in the story, whoever he is. He that is of the house of the loose shoe. He's not even named, but he says, when it was just a business transaction, I'll do it. But when it came to redeeming the inheritance and providing life, he couldn't do it. He says, I, it'll mess up my own inheritance. I can redeem the land, but I can't produce the life. I cannot redeem the name. Now, here's what I believe the Word of God is clear, and I'd like to spend the next few moments with you this morning to prove this by Scripture. I believe that first kinsman that could not produce life was the law. The law had limitations. Paul spells this out in Romans. The law by itself could not produce the redemption of life. And it could not preserve the name. Now it was, it was good. It, it had a role and it provided guidance and instruction. And there is even some debate among the rabbis as to who unloosed the shoe of the near redeemer. Was it the man himself that took his shoe off, which I believe it was, or was it Boaz that removed the shoe? I believe that the reason that there is debate among the rabbis as to who actually took off the shoe in this particular transaction that we have talked about from the book of Ruth, I believe it's because the the the... the the Jews have a hard time accepting Jesus as being that kinsman redeemer. But I believe it had to be the nearer kinsman that, that redeemed, uh, that passed on it to remove his own shoe because it had to be done voluntarily. But whatever and whoever, it was shifted over to Boaz stepping into that role. So this nearer kinsman redeemer had to recognize that he had limitations. We know from uh, the book and we know from the Old and the New Testament that the law had limitations. Paul talks about it extensively in the book of Romans. The law had limitations. The law was sort of a, a temporary propitiation, to use the verbiage, of Paul, it sort of kept postponing. It would, it would sort of kick the can down the road, as it were. It, it was all pushing forward to Jesus Christ, who would become that kinsman redeemer that could step in and give life and life more abundantly. He was the one who could step in and preserve the name. So, we, we, we go forward and we, we recognize some interesting things about this. First of all, 
Moses was known for being the one to whom the law was given. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And he was entrusted with the law. But when he came upon the burning bush in the wilderness, he was instructed of God to take off his shoes. For he was on holy ground. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, draw now nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now, Moses, I'm calling you to an important role. But you're going to have to take your shoe off because you're not going to be able to redeem my people By just being the one who brings the law down from Mount Sinai. You are on holy ground. You've got to take your shoe off. But I am holy. There is only one that's going to be able to redeem my people. Hallelujah. And it is I am that I am. Oh my. Verse 6. Moreover he said I am the God of thy father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, under the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God always redeems with a future in mind. God is not a temporary God. Hallelujah. He's a God that gives us a permanent inheritance. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, when He saved you and filled you with the Holy Ghost, it wasn't just for you to have an overcoming life on this planet. It was to give you life everlasting. Hallelujah. Eternal life. We were headed up to... uh, we were headed up to uh, Ocala this week for board meetings and camp, and I had my father with me. And I just got to uh, talking about some interesting subjects, and uh, I said to my father, "I said, do you think when you die, do you think we know the body dies? We know the soul is everlasting. Do you think that when you die, that you um, are conscious to see what's happening in the natural world, and and um, you just can't enter it?" Or do you think you're sort of in a sleep state? Because, you know, you, you hear about the soul sleeps and, and, um, are you conscious to see what's happening or are you asleep and then that final judgment you wake up or what do you think really happens? Of course, man has grappled with these questions from the beginning of time. And, um, he said, well, he said, I, I don't really know. Um, you know, he said, the Bible says the dead know nothing. So that would, seem to indicate that you're in more of a dreamlike state, but he said, here's what I do know. And I thought this was so good. He said, the God that provided in the natural realm this perfect environment for us to live in. Even Elon Musk, who we would all have to admit is um, very revolutionary in his thinking. And of course, you know, SpaceX uh, up here is launching rockets seemingly all the time now. Uh, and Teslas and electric cars and, and, uh, he's putting up satellites all over the world so that every individual, regardless of what country they live in, can have access to the internet through Starlink systems. And so there's all these, uh, innovations that are, uh, taking place and they're supposed to explore Mars. And I saw a podcast the other day where he said, Mars is boring. Because he said, not even Mars can compare to what we have on this earth. And I got to thinking about that. Bishop Myers said, when you think about what God has provided for us in the natural, we have this beautiful earth. 
that the atmosphere is just right. And the sun and the heat and the way we breathe and everything. And God has done such an amazing job. And yet we know the Bible says that this life is just the earnest of our inheritance. Can you imagine what God has prepared for us? I don't even know that our minds can comprehend it. But I thought that's a great way of looking at it. I don't know what's on the other side, but I know who controls the other side. And if he's given us a beautiful world called earth to live in, what more is God going to have for us on the other side? So when, when, he's, when he's talking to Moses, uh, he's, he's laying out this um, plan for the children of Israel that's going to be much more extensive than just uh, a trip through the wilderness. God was saying as the one who will handle the law, distribute the law. He's telling Moses, you're going to teach the law. They're going to be of the house of the loose shoe. You're going to lay the groundwork for the kinsman redeemer. But the law cannot redeem them. It can bless them. It can sustain them. It can uh, provide instruction, guidance. But it cannot redeem them to a place of new life. And when Moses asked, well, who is it that is speaking to him? He inquired about the identity. But remember, even going back to Boaz and going back to Deuteronomy, the kinsman redeemer had the specific responsibility of redeeming the name. They redeemed the name. They preserved the name by providing life. Now... Moses says, who are you? What's the identity of the voice? And God says, I am that I am. Verse 9, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Just like Boaz responded to the need of Ruth. God is telling Moses in this wilderness, I've heard the cry of the children of Israel. Come now therefore and I will send thee into Pharaoh. Verse 10. That thou mayest bring forth my people. The children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses said unto God. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh. And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee. That I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of, out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Now he's telling them here. This mountain, referring to Mount Sinai, where the law is going to be given. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. <laughs> and he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am. I can't reveal the name yet, but just know I am. I have all power. I have all authority. I am. I'm the God of your forefathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I am the God of right now today. Oh, I think sometimes we got to get a revelation that our God can do anything. He can do it in the past. He can do it in the present. He can do it in the future. He is. I am. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thou shalt... Say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers. Now here's where he lays out this legacy. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. You see where he's stepping into that role? He tells Moses, take your shoe off. You got a role, but it's going to be limited. But my role in establishing a name is going to be without limitation. Oh, hallelujah. Only the kinsman redeemer would be able to preserve the name. So only the Messiah would be able to apply the name. That's why the New Testament church was wrapped in the name. That's why salvation is in the name. This is why baptism is in the name of of Jesus. This is why healing is in the name of Jesus. This is why you will be fought on the name of Jesus. 
people don't mind if you just want to be a prayerful person, and if you just want to be a, a Christian and be immoral. But when you start proclaiming the name of Jesus, this is where you get pushed back in a society that increasingly is moving away from God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the law was not meant to be our salvation. It was a means to an end. But it's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That's why everything in the Old Testament pointed forward to Jesus. So, two things happen. I, I've got to move quickly. Two things happen that show that God intended to fully redeem the children of Israel. First, <laughs> he told them to put their shoes on and to sleep with them on the night before they were to be delivered out of Egypt. This is not going to be a temporary, limited rescue. I am pulling you out of sin Egypt is a type of sin into a promised land for a inheritance forever. This is why they will still fight to the death over there for every square inch of that land. Because Jesus, through this act of redemption, gave them an eternal inheritance. So there is a covenant with the land. <laughs> and he said, this isn't going to just be a temporary thing. I want you to put your shoes on. Not only did he tell them to put their shoes on the night before, but while they were in the wilderness, the Bible said their shoes never wore out. He said, I'm going to have a people, and this isn't going to be just some sort of fling. This isn't going to be some sort of temporary rescue. I'm going to have a people, hallelujah, that's going to have my name applied to them, and it's going to be for an everlasting inheritance. And ladies and gentlemen, when it's all said and done, he's still going to go back and land on Mount Moriah, and we read about it in Revelation, but that mountain is going to split open, and the children of Israel are going to run into it, and God is still going to come back, because when God establishes is a covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. Mm. So he was calling them out to redemption. But they never did get to the name. They got stuck in the wilderness of unbelief. Now here's something that's kind of interesting. Moses died in the wilderness. He also struggled with some of the challenges of leading them through the wilderness and getting them into the promised land. Because though they may have been physically removed mentally and emotionally, they were still tied to Egypt where they had spent 400 years. So Moses died in the wilderness, but Elijah was caught up in a chariot, a fiery chariot. And Elijah never did die. And Elijah and Moses is interesting because they both are seen in the Mount of Transfiguration that disciples saw just before Jesus went to the crucifixion. But they represented two different kinsmen redeemers. Moses represented the law, which was limited. But Elijah, the one that called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel, the one who was caught up in a fiery chariot, he was a type of the fire that would fall in the upper room. And there's no limitation to the fire. He was a type of the fire in the tabernacle that never went out. God told him, don't ever let it go out. Let it always, forever burn in the tabernacle. He was a type of that burning bush in the wilderness that was never consumed that fire, my friend, is an everlasting fire and it is a representation of the power of God in which there is no limitation. 
There's a limitation to the loose shoe house. There's a limitation to where the law can take you. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a fire. There is a power. There is an anointing of God that is without limitation. And it is an everlasting covenant. And it can redeem you and save you and heal you and your children and your children's children. Now watch this. <laughs> oh, I love this. John the Baptist, he comes preaching repentance. He confronted the people about their sins. He was, he was confrontational in his ministry. Because that's what the law did. It was in your face. It was very direct. And that was the ministry of John. John said, you must repent. But his ministry was limited because he had a very specific purpose. In fact, the Bible said that he did no miracles. Mark chapter 1 and verse 7. And preach saying, there cometh one mightier than I. Watch this. After me, the latchet of whose shoe? I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. (laughs) John was from the house of the loose shoe but there was coming one whose shoe could not be taken off and he was saying he's going to come as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and you're not going to be able to take his shoe off uh, because there's no limitation to what your Messiah is going to do. Uh, I've got a time span. Uh, I've got a shelf life. Uh, I'm of the loose shoe house. Uh, but they're coming one uh, that I can't take his shoe off. Uh, he's going to be a permanent redeemer. So John preached repentance. And his ministry was limited. This is why Paul said in Acts 19, when he met some of the disciples of John in Ephesus, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said, under what then were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized under John's baptism. Now, watch, watch what Paul says. He said, well, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. (laughs) Paul is saying what you did was good, but there's another kinsman redeemer (laughs) that's not limited. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name. This is why you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. If you were baptized in in, in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost then that that was good that you followed the obedience of what you were taught as a child. But now there's a kinsman redeemer that wants to preserve you through the power of his name. So now you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Because the kinsman redeemer is the only one that can preserve you forever through the power of his name. That's why when you go down in baptism in the name of Jesus in the spirit realm, you are identified as a king's kid. You've got the name of Jesus. The devils can't touch you. You've got the name of Jesus. An everlasting covenant. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. John can only take you so far. The loose shoe can only take you so far. But the kinsman redeemer can bring you full salvation through the name of Jesus. He can redeem your inheritance. He can preserve you. But it goes even further. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. Watch this. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I said, and with fire. 
John said, I'm limited, but there's coming one after me. I can baptize you in water. I can baptize you under repentance. But there's coming one after me. There's a kindred redeemer that's coming. There's no limitation of what he can do. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He goes on to say in verse 12, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat under the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's not ever going to go out. The second thing that we notice about this kinsman redeemer called Jesus is that he provides even before he redeems. I said he provides even before he redeems. In Ruth 3... I didn't, I didn't read all of Ruth 3 in our text. But you'll read that, that Boaz provided for Ruth even before he had the right to redeem. And, and this is so true because you see this played out. Even Paul said, I followed all the laws of the prophets. And even Jesus, he came not to overturn the law, but to fulfill the law. But then he took it to the next dimension. This is really what Boaz did. Boaz was careful about going through the protocols of the law. But then he was able to take it to the next level. This is what Jesus did. Just as Boaz provided for Ruth, even before he had the right to redeem, because you remember I told you about she goes and uncovers his feet in Ruth chapter 3? Well, he gives her six measures of barley. When she made it known to him that she wished to be redeemed by uncovering his feet and laying at his feet all night, Boaz determined to fulfill the law and to redeem her. Mary came to Jesus and uncovered his feet. And she worshipped at his feet. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet before him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed her feet and anointed them with the ointment. Oh, oh. The, the, the Pharisee, my goodness, this lady's a sinner lady. What is she doing coming in here? I mean, doesn't she know that this is where a Pharisee lived? Doesn't she know that, that this is a upper society here? Who does she think she is? She's embarrassed, all of us. But that's not what the Lord did. The Lord defended her. Hallelujah. Because when you bring an offering of praise, God will not turn you away. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who your mommy or who your daddy was. The kinsman redeemer will step in and provide and anoint and redeem you. So the question for all of us is, how do I let him know that I want him to redeem me? Well, how did Mary? She let it be known that she wanted to be redeemed by the Lord, by her worship of him. All you have to do, really, ladies and gentlemen, is just let the Lord know that you desire Him. All the other peripheral stuff that we get hung up on, none of that really matters. You just got to let Him know that you love Him. Ruth and Boaz were married. They had a son named Obed. He was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. From this lineage came Jesus. And every time they called out to Jesus in Scripture and said, Thou son of David! They were acknowledging his rightful place to redeem them. When blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said, David is both dead and buried and the sepulcher is with us unto this day. In other words, even your greatest king had the limitation of death. He could only take you so far. He was a nearer kinsman redeemer, but he could only take you as a king of the nation for so far. But the Messiah has conquered death. That's why Peter, when he's preaching in Acts 2 and verse 30 says, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his law, referring to David according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne David had a kinsman that would step in when he died he goes on to say he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did see corruption this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses therefore being by the right hand of God exalted having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear for David is not ascended up into the heavens uh, he's of the house of the loose shoe he's got uh, a limitation uh, he could only do so much uh, but uh, he saith himself uh, David said himself the Lord said unto my Lord sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes, thy footstool, thy footstool. Therefore, this is Peter now preaching to the devout Jews. Acts 1 and 2 describes these that gathered around to figure out what this fire of Pentecost was all about. And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's not only your Redeemer, He's your all-powerful Redeemer. Capital L, Lord, and capital C, Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for this promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He's given gifts. He's blessing repentance, baptism in His name, the fire of His Spirit living in you. My time's gone, so stand. But even before the children of Israel came through the Red Sea, even before they came out of Egypt, He blessed them. Just as Boaz gave these six bundles of barley to Ruth, even before he had a legal right to redeem her, The Bible says when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt that the neighbors came and brought them gold and silver and all their jewelry. They brought it to the children of Israel. God has blessed us. But there's more. God has kept you. But there's more. We in our flesh are of the house of the loose shoe. We have limitations. Just as this humanity has limitations. But God has prepared a place of permanence. It's a place of redemption. It is an everlasting place. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. The law could only take you so far. But there was a kinsman redeemer that came in who is holy, holy, holy. I am that I am. Poured out his spirit so that you and I could have everlasting life, so that we could have an everlasting inheritance by ingesting and embracing the power of the name of Jesus. That's why the Bible said every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. Why don't you lift your hands now all over this building? Why don't you go ahead and speak the name of Jesus? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We speak the name of Jesus over every situation. You're not my temporary salvation, God. You're my hope. Oh, yes, Lord. You're the beginning and the end. You're the first and the last. You're the Alpha and the Omega. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
I know we're supposed to break right now for fellowship, but I wonder for 60 seconds, could we just give him the gift of praise? Come on, would you prepare this atmosphere? You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. That's it, somebody uncover his feet with your praise. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what they say in the market. I want to be redeemed. Let everything that hath breath praise you, the Lord. Come on, we bring our offering of praise unto you today, Lord. We magnify the name of Jesus. Come on, you ought to speak the name of Jesus right now. I speak the name of Jesus. There's nothing you can't do. You have an everlasting covenant with your people. There's a fire that's never going to go out. There's an anointing that will never go out. I bless the name of Jesus. We've come to the house of God today to worship you, Lord. We've not come to sit with the Pharisees. We've not come to strategize and pontificate. We've come to worship you. Oh, we've come to worship you. We've come to pour out our praise unto you. We've come to break our alabaster box before you. In the name of Jesus, I will bless the Lord at all times. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. Jesus. Take a few moments and get in a position of praise. Say hello, move, whatever you got to do. But in uh, just a few moments, let's enter into this worship service. Hallelujah. Let's lay the groundwork. Hallelujah. With our voices of praise and adoration. And let's get ready for a mighty move of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed.